Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. My name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. (laughs) Well, we're here for an amazing treat today. Uh, We have an awesome guest, Dr. Derwin L. Gray, and I'm just going to do a little intro of him and we'll get started. He is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community in Indian Land, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. Gray met his wife, Vicki, at Brigham Young University, and they have been married since 1992. That's awesome. <laughs> and have two adult children. After graduating from BYU, he played professional football in the NFL for five years with the Indianapolis Colts and Carolina Panthers. And then in 2008, Gray graduated from Southern Evangelical, I can't say that word, seminary, sorry about that, magna cum laude with a Master of Divinity with a concentration in apologetics. While there, he was mentored by renowned theologian and philosopher, Dr. Norman Geisler. And in 2018, Gray received his Doctor of Ministry in the New Testament in Context at Northern Seminary under Dr. Scott McKnight. And then in 2015, he was awarded an honorary doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. And also, I didn't even realize Gray is the author of a couple of books, Hero, Unleashing God's Power in a Man's Heart, The Limitless Life, You Are More Than Your Past When God Holds Your Future, and then Crazy Grace for Crazy Times Bible Study and The High Definition Leader. And most recently, which I just finished reading, is The Good Life, which we're going to kind of focus on today. Yes. Thank you so much, Pastor Derwin Gray, for being here. What an honor and a gift. And our ears are wide open and we just cannot learn, wait to learn so much from you today. And so thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's my honor and privilege. Thank you guys for having me. Yes. And I guess if we'll just start out, if you can, that was an amazing bio, by the way, but if you can give our listeners a little bit more just about who you are and where you came from and what your focus is today, and um, maybe dive in a little bit more into what prompted you to write The Good Life. Yeah, so I am Vicky's husband. Uh, Vicky <laughs> and I met. Vicky and I met on January fifteenth, nineteen ninety. It was the second semester of my freshman year, her junior year, and uh, we met playing basketball. She was an athlete uh, at BYU as well. Nice. And uh, I noticed this girl throwing elbows and shooting jump shots. And I was like, <laughs> man, I need to talk to her. So anyway, uh, we've literally been together ever since. We got married in college. And so we just celebrated 28 years of marriage. And wow. we've got awesome. a daughter, Congrats. our daughter, Press. thank you. Our daughter, Presley, is 24. And our son, Jeremiah, is about to be 20. And uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. My mom was 16 when she was pregnant with me. My dad was... 17, uh, both my mom and dad struggled with uh, brain health issues and substance abuse. And so my grandmother primarily raised me along with my granddad. But about age 13, uh, you know, growing up in Texas, football is everything. And so I always loved football, but 
it became more than just a game for me. It became a way out of where I was in my environment. And we didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in church. And so the human heart is going to worship something like mm-hmm. we cannot not worship. Yeah, uh, we 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 may not admit it, but we all worship something and worship is simply this. Where do I find my affirmation? Where do I find my identity and where do I find purpose? And so for me, oh, football, if I played good, I was affirmed. Mm-hmm. It taught me, hey, you know what? You're a football player and it was the purpose to get out of the hood. So worked hard, got a football scholarship to BYU, which is Brigham Young University, met my wife there. Had a great career there, got drafted to the NFL. And so making it to the NFL is like, all right, this is what happiness is going to be, be like. This is going to be the good life. And when I was 25, which was my third year in the NFL, it was like, okay, there's got to be more. Yeah. Um, like I've worked my whole life for this. There, there, mm-hmm. there has to be more. And the reality is, is no matter how much fame I had externally, I couldn't forgive myself for things I've done. I couldn't forgive my family, couldn't Mm -hmm. forgive my dad for not being around. Uh, I couldn't love my wife the way she deserved to be loved. Now, theologically, I'm dealing with sin and bitterness and selfishness. Of course, I didn't know those words. I didn't grow up in in church. Mm -hmm, But at 25, at the pinnacle of life, I have this existential crisis of there's got to be more but thank goodness in God's grace that there was a teammate that I played with with the Indianapolis Colts his name was Steve Grant mm-hmm. but his nickname was the naked preacher because every day after practice he would take a shower dry off and wrap a towel around his waist mm-hmm. and then he'd go to my teammates and ask them do you know Jesus and in my mind I'm like do you know you're half naked <laughs> It, it was it was like the weirdest thing, but one day he came it's like to my shock locker. and awe. It was literally shock and awe. And one day he came to my locker and he was like, "You know, do you know Christ?" And that began a five year relationship. That on August second, nineteen ninety seven, it was right after uh, lunchtime during training camp, my fifth year in the NFL. We were at Anderson College. Anderson, Indiana, and I'm leaving lunch and I'm walking back to my dorm room and my heart is just empty. And I get back to my dorm room and I call my wife on the phone and I say, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And literally I felt when I was born again, I felt the love of God for the first time in my life. I knew that I was loved, not based on what I accomplished, not based on my failures, Mm -hmm. but simply for who I was. And I realized that on the cross, Jesus forgave me. And I couldn't give you all the terms, but I knew something was different. And I literally cried at night for three days at the thought of God's forgiveness and how unworthy I was to be forgiven, but how I loved I was for him to forgive me. And so my wife had become a Christian about six months before I did through a woman at work. And so we were very much on the same journey. And make a long story short, in 2010, uh, she and I co-founded and co-planted Transformation Church. And we're a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And we believe that Jesus not only forgives sins, but he brings people together 
who have different colored skins to be a new family. And uh, just recently in June, uh, I came out with a book called The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness. It is a national bestseller. And I think everybody's shocked because who releases a, a book called the, the Good Life, <laughs> and it's about happiness in the middle of a pandemic and racial and civil unrest in the United States of America. But the book has resonated. And to answer the second part of your question, mm-hmm. I wrote the book because way back in 2014, as I was doing pastoral care and counseling. I was talking to people who just were not happy, single, married, young, old, millennial, Gen Z, whatever. People were just not happy. And what I discovered, even for Christians, is our version of happiness was just like the version of happiness of non-Christians. And so I thought to myself, what does Jesus say about happiness? And right there, hiding in plain sight in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, Jesus has what's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes describe seven characteristics of a person that's blessed or happy. The Greek word blessed is the word makros, and it literally means happy. And so Jesus is inviting humanity into his kingdom, which is a kingdom that will give us the happiness we were created for, but it's much different than the happiness we think about the happiness that Jesus gives us is not about good things always happening. It's about, it's about God actually making us good. And more importantly, good for the world. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is amazing. I, when I turned my Bible to Matthew five, I still have the, my Bible from when it was given to me in 1994 from my sister Lauren on Christmas day. So it's like (laughs) such an old Bible. And I had all the beatitudes highlighted and I don't even remember learning about them. So it made me kind of sad. I didn't remember, but I love this book so much. And yeah, I'm just so thankful that you wrote it and it might be a weird time in some people's eyes, but to me, it's the perfect time. Yeah, for sure. And this is for those that don't know, you've so graciously shared chapter eight. And at the end of the episode, we'll let you share with the listeners where they can find that. But I did download chapter eight. Megan's read the whole book um, and I can't wait to read it, but I did read chapter eight and I was just laughing. And one of the first few sentences, it says, and on a global scale, animosity touches every inch of this planet. It's everywhere. And when it's everywhere, it becomes like an airborne de- disease that we can catch. Talk about foreshadowing. Yeah, we were yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. So obviously yeah. God has used you and spoken through you. And honestly, Pastor Derwin, whenever I was reading chapter eight, the title of it is called Happy Are the Peacemakers. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a nine, which is called the Peacemaker. And so I literally was texting my sisters as I was reading through this and was just like on fire. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, that, is, that is awesome. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you write a book, you finish it several months before it actually goes to print. And so I finished yeah. the manuscript of The Good Life in the fall of 2019 and Amazing. everything's going great. Uh, But there are several things that were very prophetic. In chapter five, 
I talk about how Christians responded to pandemics in the early church. And then in chapter eight, I write about the Rodney King police beating. Are you guys old enough to know who Rodney King is? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I was a senior in college in 1992 when it was videotaped of Rodney King being just brutalized by policemen back then they didn't have cell phones so someone Mm -hmm. captured it and i just remember thinking now america will believe what black men have been saying Mm -hmm. and of course you know in 2020 we're still having the same conversation but the idea is jesus says happy are the peacemakers for you will be called children of god So my daughter and my son, they look a lot like me. They look a lot like their mom because they share our DNA. Well, when we share God's DNA through Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power, then peacemaking is a part of who we are. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of who we're called to be. And throughout the history of the church in the United States of America and other parts of the world, uh, racial and ethnic animosity runs so high. And what I tried to do is to write a simple, not simplistic, but simple and practical theological understanding of how to be a peacemaker across ethnic lines. And yeah, this is really important. A lot of the like, I'm thankful for the positive aspects of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But it should be the church of Jesus Christ, men, women of all ethnicities and social economic classes. We should be the one saying racial injustice is a sin mm-hmm. and Jesus has an answer for that. And yeah. so that's one of the reasons why our church, if you walk in or when we get ready to meet again, it it, it looks like what the new heavens, new earth is going to be. It's incredibly diverse and beautiful because we believe Jesus does that, but it takes work. And peacemaking is not passive. Ooh, peacemaking, just... <laughs> yeah. I was just about yeah. to gonna say, there was a four-word sentence that I highlighted, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it, and that you just said it. Peace is not passive. And being a natural peacemaker and somebody who tends to want to avoid conflict, and in my 40 years, I've gotten a little bit better at that, but I still have so much to learn. And I know for myself that this whole chapter spoke to me, but that sentence really just kind of put that dart in my gut where it's like, that's it. That's what, you know, that's where it's at. Yeah. And and, and so peacemaking looks like the cross as you enter into conflict with love and grace in hopes that reconciliation can take place. And there's a lot of people who Um, are peacemakers, quote unquote, but they don't want to enter into conflict. And that's Mm -hmm. a false version of peacemaking. And what happens is the people who don't enter into conflict at the expense of saying, I'm keeping peace are the most unpeaceful because Mm -hmm. that conflict just stores in their hearts. And that's where bitterness erupts, you know, from a perspective of marriage and relationships, one of the things that I've counseled people through, whether if it's the husband or the wife, is for so many years, instead of engaging conflict with love and patience and truth, they have stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. And when you stuff, it is like a callus on your finger 
on your hand that grows and the bigger it gets, the further away it gets from your nerves and you become numb is that you could have something pierce your callus, but you won't feel it because it's so far away from, from the nerves. Well, the more we hold in conflict, it's like this callus that our hearts become numb and you find people divorcing and getting out of relationships and getting into affairs. Mm -hmm. And so what my, my wife and I like to say, and what I like to say at Transformation Church is this, is you want to pay the taxes of conflict on the front end. Yeah. Because if you let it build up on the back end, it's going to be too expensive. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> and that kind of feels like what our country's going through right now. It's like we didn't deal with things on the front end. Do you feel that way? Because it just seems Absolutely. like so much divisiveness right now. And sometimes and I anger. just don't. Yeah, and anger. And I really loved, I mean, there were so many great points in your book, but I loved when you did write, you mentioned Romans 12, friends do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And it's just such a good reminder, but it's hard. I think people are really angry right now, understandably. So how do we get to a point where we can love each other? Yeah, and, and you can't have reconciliation without the other R, which is repentance. Yes. So I think I I think there's several different factors that are going on. And so I'll try to parse through it. I think for a lot of uh black people and other minorities, it's like, oh man, finally it seems like white people, whether Christians or non-Christians, have like awakened. Like those eight minutes and forty-six seconds of that officer's knee on George Floyd's neck was a image and a symbol that like summarized 400 years of injustice. And I think that people are awakened, which is good, but we need to be awakened to the right thing. Yeah. We need to be awakened to what's called redemptive justice. Redemptive justice is not only giving grace to the oppressor, but it's giving grace to the oppressed. Yeah. And it's also moving towards creating equality because every human being is made in the image of God. But for black people specifically, mm -hmm. uh, people say, man, our country is so divided. And it's like, no, many people are just waking up to the division we've always experienced. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like this is, this is not new for us. Yeah. And so there has to be an element of repentance because on one end, you have people in the majority culture who are, who are saying, well, there's no such thing as systemic injustice. There's no racism, you know, but then on the other side, you got some pe people who are just angry and burning stuff up and there yeah. needs to be peaceful protest, but there also needs to be what I call the four L's. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be love. That's the first thing. And love looks like the cross. Yeah. There has to be legitimate listening, mm -hmm. like listening, not to answer back, but listening to understand. Mm -hmm. And there has to be learning. 
like uh, the problems we have can't be fixed in one day. So it has to be, totally. it has to be a learned skill. Yeah. And then number four is leverage. How do I now leverage my life as a peacemaker and a person of justice? Because justice matters to Jesus. And the word justice just means to take that which is wrong and to make it right. Mm-hmm. And that matters to Jesus. Yeah. You know, where I first saw you was actually on a live interview with Lisa over at Proverbs 31. I think y'all are good friends, but yeah. you, at, when all of this kind of ruptured and was going on, you said something that was the most impactful even to me to this day. And that was proximity breeds empathy. And mm-hmm. I just think that, I don't know, I just really related and resonated to that. And I think it's so powerful to just not to sum it up, but just to, I don't know, it just made me really think about that. And I just truly believe in that as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these things is that when you get up and close and personal to another person, they move beyond a stereotype or a rumor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times there's stereotypes and they're rumors, you know, like for it, for example, you know, there are stereotypes. Well, you know, well, black men are, are violent and black men are angry. And what about black on black crime? And he, here's something that's interesting is 93% of crimes against black people are black. Yeah. But 83% of crimes of white people is by white people. Yeah. But you never hear the problem of white on white crime. And the reason why is, is because of the way the argument is framed, but it's very simple. Criminals commit criminals against people who are in proximity to them. And because Mm -hmm. America is still fairly segregated, you'll have people committing crimes against people they're close to. Mm -hmm. And so it's really not that difficult or that challenging. And so when you get to know someone and you read the pages of their lives you often find yourself finding and believing another story, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what Jesus really modeled. So when you look at Jesus, when he came in his humanity, like he hung out <clears throat> with a Samaritan woman. Are you yeah. kidding me? In the <laughs> ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world, a Jewish rabbi would not even be with a Jewish woman in public alone let alone a Samaritan woman, because you had the female issue there, which is misogyny. That was wrong. But then you also had the cultural, ethnic, and religious barrier as well. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But you see, Jesus breaks down in one moment two giant barriers, misogyny and racial tension with the Samaritan woman. And you see him with all types of people he's not supposed to be with. And so love, loving your neighbor could really be summarized as this, love people you're not supposed to love. Yeah, totally. I think that was a huge takeaway for, there were so many things that I honestly want to go back and read your book a second time and go through the questions. You can almost do it like a Bible study because One of the big things since quarantine for me has been, I've just had it on my heart to really read the Bible. I really haven't in my life. I've read it here and there and, you know, done some Bible studies, but I really don't know the Bible like I want to. 
and reading your book just reminded me more and more of that because, you know, you talked about, I related to you on like pride is sneaky. And I also have taken pride in being humble, like you talked about, mm-hmm. and in, which is an oxymoron. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. And um, just how kind of bl- pride blinds us for our need for grace. So that was like a huge standout for me, but also, you know, using that to have grace for others and all those around me. And I, I know me and Kristen talked about this line. It meant a lot to us too. Um, you don't have to be famous to make a difference. You just need to be faithful. God doesn't need your ability. He just wants your availability. Cause a lot of times I feel stuck in that, I don't know how to help or what to do to move forward. And so this just kind of gave me like a breath of fresh air. Like, okay, mm. God, I'm available. Like, show me where you need me. Cause I, I don't have any abilities, but I am available. So thank mm. you for that. Thank you. That, uh, that makes me very happy. <laughs> another, another thing that pops to my mind is about five years ago I'll never forget it. I was sitting in my living room. My husband and son and I lived in, were living in China at the time. And my mom called and she was talking about that verse that says something like, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And she pointed out how that kind of irony in that, because even, I don't remember what was going on in the world at that time, but, or what she was specifically talking to, but she was just saying, you know, if we don't love ourselves, then then we're going to treat other people like crap too. Cause we treat ourselves like crap. So mm-hmm. I just think, and that's what our podcast is about is just loving ourselves and giving ourselves grace so that we can in turn spread that to others. And so what it, have you ever thought about that verse and what, what it, would you have to say about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. Jesus was in conversation with what was called a scribe. Mm-hmm. And a scribe was like the Jewish scholar of the day. His job was to interpret what's called the Torah, the first five books of Moses, so that the Jewish people could understand it. And so basically, he wants to catch Jesus in a trap, which is like trying to drink the Pacific Ocean with a straw. <laughs> it just can never oh happen. Yeah. So he asked Jesus, like, okay, so well, what are the most important commandments? He wanted to see if Jesus was a fake. And so Jesus says... Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Mm -hmm. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 19. So what we say at Transformation Church is upward, inward, outward. So upward is love God with all your being. Inward is love yourself correctly. Outward is love your neighbors compassionately. Mm-hmm. The biggest struggle that we've seen people understand is what does it mean to love myself correctly? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes we think loving ourselves leads to pride. It leads to arrogance. Um, but when we understand it biblically, it actually moves us to worship. And here's why. To love oneself means this, all of who I am is summarized in all of who Jesus is, Mm. that what's true about Jesus is true about me, Mm. not based on what I've done, but based on everything that Jesus has done. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 17 says this, 
anyone who is joined to the Lord is one with him. So supernaturally, somehow, some way, through faith in Jesus, we're now joined to Jesus so much so that the Bible says we're in Christ and Christ is in us. The only way we could ever approach God the Father's throne is through the grace and mercy of Jesus. But not only are we accepted, we're also seen as an integral part of the person and life of Jesus himself. So therefore, I begin to love myself based on the fact that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And I take my eyes off of my failures. I take my eyes off of things that I've done that I regret. I take my eyes off of my accomplishments mm -hmm. and I take my eyes off of myself and put them on Christ. And then I lose myself in Christ to truly find myself in Christ. Ooh, and so beautiful. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Uh, um, I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my stuttering, I believe, was rooted in um, poor self-esteem uh, PTSD, the, the environment I grew up in was very, very violent. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a form of PTSD. I grew up poor. Um, I never heard, I love you. I was never hugged. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my stuttering, I believe, was rooted in a poor self-image. Mm -hmm. And when you come to Jesus, he just doesn't save your soul. He totally remakes you. Colossians 4.23 says, that we are created in the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is Jesus himself. And so loving ourselves correctly is a lifelong journey of Jesus whispering to us who we are in him. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. All right. So <clears throat> let me, because uh, I have been married for 28 years. <laughs> yes. And I and I have a daughter. So in light of what I just said, I know for women in America, it is difficult as it pertains to body issues and as it pertains to, to how you look because you're so bombarded with airbrush magazine covers, your editing materials and all types of things. And so one of the things that we've been able to do at Transformation Church and also through my book, The Good Life, is help women have a positive self-view and not try to be physically like the airbrush magazine covers they don't even see. So loving yourself yeah. correctly goes, you know what? I might be a little bit overweight. That's just more of me for my husband to love. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I love that. Love it. Yeah, I love that. We had um, one of my actually dear childhood friends. She's a eating disorder coach, and she suffered with an eating disorder for seven years. And um, so now she gets to bless people with helping them through their recovery. But something that she said really stuck out to me in that conversation, and that was I've just never heard it said in this way. But it was. She was talking about after three kids when she's down in plank position and she, you know, sees a whole droopy skin hanging from her um, stomach. And she was like, you know, when it comes to loving yourself, she believes that you don't have to, you know, she, you don't have to love the cellulite or the droopy skin, but that doesn't mean that you, that I don't love myself. 
And that was really powerful for me. So, you know, I can look in the mirror and say, you know, that just that negative talk, but actually it's like, I don't have to love it, but I for sure love myself, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Amen. So and focusing on what that droopy, you know, skin gave you, which is a beautiful baby, you know? So just focusing on the positives, I think is super powerful as well. Totally. Amen. That, that is something that for my wife and I over the years, and she's given me permission to share is, you know, I've prayed over her stretch marks and thanked her that as a result of these stretch marks that we have beautiful children Mm -hmm. that have come into the world. And, you know, I don't, I don't exactly look like I used to look either. (laughs) You know, I used to have like, (laughs) I used to have like 4% body fat and an eight pack. Now I just have a keg. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, (laughs) One thing that I had written down was, and this is switching gears a little bit, but I just really loved this and it just helped. I I do what I loved about your chapter eight, and I'm sure I will love about the good life, the whole book is I tend to want to simplify things. It's just how my brain works. (laughs) Um, And so I really appreciated chapter eight because I did feel like it did that for me, but such in a like powerful, beautiful way. And it was backed by not only the Bible and Jesus, but also you pointed out there was a part about, you know, even science backs a lot of this stuff up too. But there's a quote by Barbara Brown Taylor, and it says, the only clear line I draw these days is this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. And then I personally just kind of, or politics, added politics to that. Amen. And I, I just truly have always believed that I, I was just like, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, first of all, she is a remarkable preacher and teacher. She just has a way with words and Mm -hmm. it's beautiful. And, And so I think it's important for us to understand is that I can love a person and not agree with everything the person does. Mm -hmm. So for example, God did not agree with our sin, but he loved us enough to send Jesus to die for our sin. And so if, if, if my neighbor is doing something I disapprove of, or that I believe breaks the commands of God, well, being a jerk isn't going to bring them to Jesus. What's going to bring them to Jesus is me sitting down with them and loving them and building a relationship with them and serving them and being present with them. In other words, doing what Jesus did, (laughs) you know, like, like, like there's the scene at the temple where the woman is caught in adultery. So I've got a couple questions. Where was the man who was in adultery with the woman? How did he get away? And then secondly, when they bring the woman to Jesus, Jesus basically says, any of you without sin, cast the first stone. And everybody left because they recognized they too had sin. But then Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, woman, where are those who condemn you? She says, no one's here. He says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And I think that's the beautiful balance of grace and truth. Grace means I'm going to get close enough to you to speak the truth, but it's the grace that allows you to hear the truth. And so 
uh, I am an advocate of if I want to change a person, I've got to get close to a person and earn the right to be heard by the way I love them. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So it's the timing, like we said in the beginning of your book, is just so um, foreshadowing because you touched on <laughs> happiness and especially in a time in, in the hard, dark times. And then you also touch a lot on the um, just uh, racism part that we're going through as well. But when it pertains to the happiness part of it, what is the difference between the happiness we strive for and what we were created for? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And I, I think that's a question uh, that God has really just helped me with so much is typically the happiness that we think is this. I'm getting everything I want. Everything's working out the way I want. You know, I'm enjoying my life and and things are just great that I have these feelings of happiness, whereas the happiness that Jesus is inviting us into is not about a feeling. It's about a commitment to him making us into someone. So if I could say it more succinctly, I would say it this way. Happiness is about becoming who you were created to be. Therefore, my happiness is no longer predicated upon circumstances, but it is now rooted in the God who's working in me and through me because he loves me. That's awesome. Especially... In a time like this, I think that it's just so good to remind ourselves what truly makes us happy. And you kind of touched on it with your huge, when you were 25 and it was like you had all this going for you and you had quote unquote the good life, but, but was it, you know? And so I just love that. I do too. Well, and, and I actually think that as bad and as awful as COVID is and all the stuff we're experiencing what it's doing is it's allowing us to actually slow down and become intentional Mm -hmm. and pay attention to what is our lives truly built on. You know, this is not the time to drift from Jesus. This is the time to draw to Jesus. And you may have some, some listeners who may not be followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is, man, just, just, just come as you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is, he is more loving and he is more transformative than you could ever imagine. And there's a bigger, beautiful, and better life that he wants to invite you into. And it's a life that's not just good for you, but it's good for the world. That's what happiness is. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. And what, um, and what do you mean by saying happiness and holiness are two sides of the same coin? Yeah, you know, the theological term holiness simply means that we're set apart and it means that God adopts us into his family and then he begins to make us like Jesus. So holiness is becoming more and more like Jesus. So when you look at the Beatitudes, those seven characteristics, those eight characteristics where Jesus uses the words blessed is happy and happiness produces holiness. So holiness and happiness are two sides of the same coin. Your happiness and my happiness leads to your holiness and my holiness, which is then a gift to the world. Love that. And um, out of curiosity, is there a beatitude that is personally challenging for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, it just depends on the week. 
<laughs> you know, it just depends on the week. But right. what I would say right now, blessed are the peacemakers is probably the one that has my attention the most simply because God has blessed our church to be one of the top influencing churches in the country as it pertains to peacemaking and bringing together different ethnicities of Christians to be the body of Christ. And a lot of times white Christians are like, don't talk about race. Why are you doing that? And black Christians are like, talk about it more. We need to have vengeance. And it's like, you know what? I don't live to please any man. I live to please Jesus. Mm -hmm. So therefore uh, I'm going to make white people mad and black folks mad. But as long as I satisfy Jesus, that's what's most important. And we're seeing God do Amen. remarkable things. I mean, for goodness sakes, I did an interview with the Wall Street Journal yesterday. And oh my, my book is a national bestseller. Are you kidding? God is moving. He's working. Yes. And so even if I get a, a goofy email one day, it doesn't compare to the hundreds of emails that I get of people saying, thank you for allowing me to see that Jesus not only forgives sins, but he gives me a family of brothers and sisters with different colored skins. Mm, so beautiful. So in your first sentence of chapter eight, you say Rodney King was quoted saying, can't we all just get along? And I just resonated that because that's, like I said, I like to simplify things, but before all of this and during this and after, I, that's just where my heart comes to is, can we all just get along? Can we all just love? We are one human race. And I know it's so much more than that. So I can't do that. But I do have to ask you, especially being the leader of a church that is all human races, if you were standing in a room right now leading Christians, non-Christians of all human races, and then in a room with just blacks, and then in a room with just whites, what would be your top message that you would want to say to each of those rooms? And if, or, or if they're even different, maybe it's the same message. I would say this, treat everybody like Jesus died for them because he did. Mm. Yeah. That's good. And if that's our starting place, that means this, if I am a white Christian and my black and brown brothers and sisters are experiencing systemic injustice, you mess with them you messing with me. Mm, yeah. And it means this, if you're black or brown or whatever your ethnicity may be, it means this, that I'm coming alongside of my white brothers and sisters because the Bible says we are literally the body of Christ. And if any member hurts, we all hurt. There's no insignificant parts to the body of Christ. So treat everybody like Jesus Christ died for them because he did. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I love our mom has told us from the time we can remember it's to every single day, whether it's our husband, brother, sister, stranger, neighbor, homeless person on the street that to, to view every human being through the eyes of the creator. And I think in good times and hard times and everything, that's just such a great reminder because when you do that, I think we're able to do exactly what you just said. So Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, 
Speaking of that, Lauren, um, I wanted to say, I'm not going to lie. This is Kristen, by the way, and I'm more of the sit back and listen and take it all in. But (laughs) after reading what I've read from you, I will say I felt it was almost like a jolt. I was like, oh, crap, I haven't been doing I haven't been close enough to Jesus. And (laughs) I've just been running and I've been, you know, and I started to just really beat myself up. And I think Christianity can do that to people where they're like, oh, it's like you're being called out and then you start doing all the judging. And I just want to say thank you because I realize, like, you know, I just, I just need to stop judging myself for that. And I'll give the example when it said, you know how close you are to Jesus or the Lord when how much you're giving to the poor. And I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> I've been not doing that, you know, and at first I wanted to just beat myself up and that's just the opposite of Christianity, right? It's not to judge yourself. It's just to admit and be aware and, you know, be like, yeah, whatever. I did sleep in my makeup and I'm going to keep on, you know, I can change that today. Every day is a new day. And, um, so I just appreciate everything that you're doing. And I, uh, Um, if I could, if I could add to what you're saying is that you're a hundred percent right is what I would say is that it's not a call out. It's a call in. Mm -hmm. And, and what I mean by that is when the Holy spirit convicts us, he's calling us into the arms of Jesus. Condemnation calls us to run from Jesus. Conviction calls us into him. And the closer we get to him, the more we see his heart. And the beauty of the blood of Jesus is past, present, future sins have already been paid for. And you don't have to beat yourself up. You know why? Because Jesus was already beat up. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So true. So true. Um, well, I don't know if Lauren, you had another question, but I was really wanting to kind of talk about the, at the end of the book, I loved the happiness manifesto and the 30 day happiness challenge. I've totally committed to that. So I wanted you to kind of talk about what you hope your readers will gain from those. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the book, I put what's called the happiness manifesto and it's, and it's basically affirming to yourself truths about God. It's like, it's like waking up and taking a shower. And so we shower our minds with stuff all the time. And so what the Happiness Manifesto does is it's like taking a shower in your mind to remind yourself that you're choosing Jesus, his kingdom, and his ways. The 30-day challenge deals with reading the Beatitudes for 30 days straight of just reading the scripture slowly to where you begin to memorize the Beatitudes. And so what happens is, is the more you get into the Word of God, the Word of God gets into you, and by faith, it begins to transform you. And so every night when I go to bed, is I quote uh, from memory, uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, the, you know, Awesome. The happiness challenge is I want to wash myself with these truths that if that if Jesus says this is the way to be happy, this is the way to be holy, this is the way to be, then I want the Holy Spirit to do this in me. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited. I'm yeah. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Well, Pastor Darwin, the irony of 
the year being 2020 perfect vision, <laughs> um, mm. we've had more complexity than we have had clarity, but we thank you. I think the good life is a gift to us all. And if one thing we do have clarity and this book helps give us that about experiencing happiness that goes beyond the surface of our circumstances into the depths of our soul. And so truly from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for this. And we greatly thank you for taking time to spend with us today. And we would love for you to assign us our weekly challenge that we assign to ourselves and to our listeners who want to join. And then we would love if you're up for it to close us in prayer, but we just really, really thank you. This has been such a gift to us and our listeners. Well, you are welcome. <laughs> that make sure we tell people where they can find the good life and where they can find you as well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So um, if you go to derwinlgray.com, derwinlgray.com, you'll find Transformation Church and everything about me. If you want to get chapter eight for free, go to thegoodlifebook.net, thegoodlifebook.net. And uh, my book, The Good Life, can be bought anywhere that books are sold. However, at Lifeway, they're being sold at a whopping 50% discount. Oh, wow. So you can get The Good Life for $8.99 from Lifeway. So let me lift y'all up in prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much uh, for my sisters in Christ. I thank you for your grace and mercy and for the privilege of being able to talk about The Good Life, which is really talking about you, Jesus. So Jesus, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and let us know that sometimes we do fall asleep with our makeup on, but I'm so grateful for your grace that makes us beautiful every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank I, you so And I much. guess our weekly challenge, unless you had another one, would be your 30-day challenge. I like it. Do the 30-day challenge. Get the good life and do the 30-day challenge. Woo. Yes. Let's do it. Thank you, listeners. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.